Well, homecoming day in a church always brings back memories. And like I say, when folks walked in immediately, there were some memories that was brought back. You know, we could re remember things, some good things that took place here. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning, just for a few minutes, um, talking about memories. You know, there's five things that we should always remember. Five things that we should always remember. Now, we do a lot of kidding of ourselves and others about remembering, especially as we get older. There's all kinds of jokes about our memory goes on. You know, a lady said to her husband, said, um, you don't remember the things that are really important to me. For, for instance, you know, I bet you can't even remember my favorite flower. And he says, well, I, I think I can do that. It's, it's, it's Martha White self-rising, isn't it? <laughs> when it comes to remembering, you know, we might get by with letting some things slide. But on the other hand, there are things that we really should not forget. And as a matter of fact, the Bible, um, it makes it clear that God places a tremendously high priority on remembering certain things. There are certain things in the scripture that we should never ever forget. Second Peter, the first chapter, um, the Apostle Paul, he reminds his fellow Christians of some of the wonderful ways in which God has blessed us. And then he goes on to admonish us as to our need to grow spiritually. And then what can happen if we fail to grow? It's all the good stuff, important stuff. So in verses 12 through 15, I'd like to read that to you. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will in endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Now, it's really no big deal if we forget some things. We understand that. But I want to share with you this morning five things that we should always remember. You know, and if we allow any one of these things, you know, to become less than vivid in our memory, we fall miserably short of life's highest and best. So we don't want to um, forget these things. And these things referred to, we're going to talk about this morning, they're referred to directly or indirectly in Peter's two epistles. So the message this morning is going to basically come from um, Peter's two epistles. Well, the first thing we should remember is this, the price that was paid for our salvation. That is something we should never, ever forget. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 18 through 20, we read these words. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, 
but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, that word redeem there, it means to set free by paying a price. And in the very, in the first century there, there were, there were just millions of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And if some kind person, if they were willing and if they were able, they could redeem a slave, meaning that they could pay the price that the slave owner demanded to set that slave free. Now, those of us who are Christians were, prior to our conversion, we were slaves to sin. So we know what it is in that respect to be a slave. We were slaves to sin. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans 3 that all of us have sinned. And then three chapters later over in Romans 6, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now, the emphasis, of course, is on the spiritual death, which means separation from God. You know, sin had us in its grip. Before we became Christians, sin had us in its grip. We were defeated in this life, and we were bound for eternal hell. But the Bible goes on to say there, but the gift of God is eternal life um, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in the eighth chapter of John, in verse 36, it says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You know, Jesus redeemed us from the servitude of sin. And thank goodness he did. You know, on the cross, you know, in a way that is just is beyond our comprehension, um, Jesus somehow, he took it upon himself in one unfathomably um, torturous bundle, all of the punishment that you and I deserve for all of our sins for time and eternity. He took that upon himself. You know, that's a love that we really can't comprehend. That is something greater than we can fathom. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> now, the physical suffering, you know, it must have just been horrendous. You know, I don't know that we can even comprehend that. But let me tell you something. The spiritual anguish must have been even worse than that. Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse 15, it tells us that Jesus was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now think, of, think about this. He was the one perfect person who ever walked this earth. He never had one wrong thought. He never spoke one wrong word. He never did one wrong thing. Yet every filthy thought that you and I ever had, every sorry, sinful act that we ever committed, and every unholy and unholy word we ever spoke um, was laid upon Jesus on that cross. A man that was perfect, 
without sin, he took all of ours on him. You know, I don't know that we can possibly fully understand that because such a concept is just kind of outside of our, our um, frame of reference because we are sinners, but he was and he is perfect. No wonder the poet said, for none of the ransom ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night the Lord passed through ere he found the sheep that was lost. When the renowned evangelist from another generation, Gypsy Smith, he was a very old man. He was getting up in age, and, but he was still very fervent in serving the Lord. He was very faithful. And someone asked him one time, says how it was that he could still be so enthusiastic about Christian service after all these years. And just with a tear trickling down his cheek, Gypsy Smith said this. He said, if there's anything of effectiveness in my life and my ministry, it's because I've never lost the wonder of it all. How beautiful is that? You know, if you and I, if we ever get to the point that we're just casual about what happened on the cross, if we ever get to the point where we begin to take it for granted, you and I need to get down on our knees and stay there until we recapture the wonder of it all. Amen? We should always remember the price that was paid for our salvation. Second thing, something else that we should always remember the people God has used to bless our lives. The people God has used to bless our lives. Now look with me, please, at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 12 through 14. Hmm. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, now a little sidebar here, apparently this is a reference to the church in Babylon, with Babylon, of course, being perhaps a symbolic reference to Rome or it could refer to an actual city by that name. But chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love, or a kiss of charity, some translations would say. Notice that Peter writes, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he remembers to express appreciation for the help of Silas. And he also remembers to pass on greetings from the church at Babylon and from Mark, whom he was a very close friends with. Now, you see, Peter here, he never forgot the people who were special to him. You know, he gives credit where credit is due. He didn't forget those people that meant something to him. And let me tell you something, folks. In like manner, we should always remember the people whom God has used to bless our lives. You know, it's no accident that God puts these people in our lives from time to time to be a blessing to us. We should always remember to give them the attention and the consideration and the time that, that they deserve. We should always remember to express appreciation to them and for them. They're important to us. You know, I would say that our families, of course, would be right at the top of that list. 
You know, I'm thankful for Valerie. She's not only my, the love of my life, but she's my best friend. And she's also my best helper. Why, she even helps me when I don't want to be helped. <laughs> but I can truly say I always need her. She's a wonderful wife, and like all good wives, you know, she now and then slips me a little dose of humility. And gentlemen, I'm sure that your wives do the same thing because there's good wives. You know, I'm thankful for her, and I'm thankful for our children. You know, Valerie and I, we're just grateful for the many wonderful people that God has um, used to bless our lives down through the years, and there's been many, and that most certainly includes you dear folks here at Cabin Swamp Church of Christ. You know, from our hearts, and I really can say this, we can say about you what the Apostle Paul said of his friends in Philippians, the first chapter, when he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. We're grateful for the people that God has put in our lives. You know, I'm thankful for all of our friends, and I feel exactly just like a poet expressing. I don't read many poems, but I thought some of these were, were pretty unique to this message here. It says, my friends are little lamps to me. Their radiance warms and cheers my ways. And all my pathways, smooth and rough, are illuminated by their rays. I try to keep them bright by faith and never them dim with doubt. Where every time I lose a friend, a little lamp goes out. And that is so true. Let me tell you something. There's an extremely sad statement found in the book of Job. And this troubled old patriarch, he's in excruciating pain and emotional distress. And in Job, the 19th chapter, in verse 14, he says, My kinfolk have failed and my familiar friends have forgotten me. How inexcusable is that? You know, at a time when he needed them most, his friends forgot him. That's just inexcusable. You know, sometimes I have to ask myself here, how many people have I disappointed and, and marred by my testimony? Not intentionally, because I wouldn't intentionally do that, but because of maybe forgetting, you know, forgetting some promise that I had made somewhere along the line or forgetting some special occasion in their life or maybe forgetting to be attentive when they were hurting. Thomas Hood, he wrote this. He said, but evil is wrought by want or thought, as well as want of heart. We should always remember the people whom God used to bless our lives with. You know, those are even those that are no longer with us. And those, of course, that we're happy to have that are still with us here. The third thing that we should always remember. The promises that God has given to sustain us. We should always remember the promises that God has given to sustain us. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, whereby all are given, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Chuck Swindoll, many of you have read some of his material. He says this. He says, sometimes I feel like life is a violin solo and I've got on boxing gloves. You know, or that life is Indy 500 and I'm driving a broken down jalopy. 
Um, and you know what? I really think that all of us feel that way at times. I feel like that we all have those times in our lives. But how great it is that we have the promises of God to lift us out of the valley of despair. How wonderful is that? You know, I don't have time to elaborate this morning because we're of time restraints, but at least I want to name and perhaps briefly comment on just two or three of these wonderful sustaining promises that we have. Lamentations, the third chapter, verse 21 through 23. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. You know, sometimes we feel like that all of the wind is just going out of our sails. And I'm sure everybody in here has felt that way sometime. And we feel like that we just cannot go on. But lo and behold, the very next morning, God is standing by with this fresh new supply of spiritual strength that is ours for the asking. We cannot ask for a better God than that. He's always there ready for us. Romans 8, 28, it reads, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his promise. What a grand sweeping promise that is. Think about that. Go back up to that very first line and up there, it says all things. Now that's pretty captivating. That's pretty intriguing there, all things. That includes those tragic things that result from our sins and our blunders. It includes that. It includes those terrible events whose mysterious cause we couldn't even begin to understand. It includes that. You know, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and if we in love, if we give those broken pieces to him, our God can just somehow miraculously bring even out of a sad, sorry, sick situation, he can bring good out of it. And he's a master at it. See, we may not be able to see it at the time, but if we just hang in there and we keep trusting, one day, here or hereafter, we'll be able to look back and say, uh, right along with the poet, you know, God was better to me than all my hopes, better than all my fears, for he made a bridge of broken sighs and a rainbow of my tears. God is just that kind of person, folks. So there are times when we just need to hang on to Romans 8, 28, just in order to keep our sanity here. I want you to note 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Part of the way in the verse there, it says, my grace is sufficient for thee. What another great promise there. The hymn writer said it, um, said it this way, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Folks, listen. Satan does his best to fog our minds and cause us to forget those great truths. And he's good at what he does, but if we'll just make it a point to read them, to meditate on them, you know, and even memorize them so that we can call them up at just the spur of the moment. God will use those great truths to sustain us in our times of pain and, and disappointment and heartbreak. 
you know, great old hymn, another great old hymn says it very well too. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, standing on the, or when the howling storms of, of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Uh, a fourth thing we should always remember, the provision he's made for us in heaven. Folks, that's something to look forward to. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. True story here, folks. Several decades ago in England, there was a professor of literature by the name of C.S. Lewis. I'm sure you've heard that name. At that particular time, he was an atheist. However, in his 30s, he was converted and he became just an outstanding spokesman for the Christian faith. And after studying the history of the Christian movement and the impact of just various individuals um, that, that the individuals had made, C.S. Lewis, he made this observation. He says, the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. And then he goes on to say, it is since Christians have begun thinking less of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. How true is that? Let me tell you something. C.S. Lewis, he was right on target when he said that. If we are to see the events of this life in proper perspective, if we're to see, if we're to see our life in proper perspective here, and if we're to deal with these events effectively, we must, number one, have a right relationship to the Lord. And number two, we must have a clear Bible-based aware awareness of what really awaits us in heaven. Folks, we need to understand what heaven's going to be like. I know it's beyond our comprehension, but we ought to think about it, and we ought to think about it often. Let me tell you something. That will pull you out of the, the depths of despair when you think about what's waiting for you if you remain faithful there. You know, what a great place, an awesome place heaven must be. We'll be reunited with Christian loved ones and friends and, you know, those that have gone on before. That's one thing that'll happen. We'll enjoy just spectacular beauty that's beyond our comprehension. And we will experience perfect health, you know, and we'll be free from all of our sins. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, but there will be some supreme blessing of heaven as well. And the songwriter put it this way. He says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Every one of us in this room, we can attest to the fact that there's wonderful blessings and joy that comes to the believer in this life. But every one of us can also attest to the fact 
that we're not exempted from trials and tribulations. And when we're going through those trials and tribulations in the valley of suffering or heartache, we need to remember that we're just strangers and pilgrims here, you know, and that our ultimate home is heaven. We're just passing through this place. And that's something we need to remember. In Romans, the eighth chapter, in verse 18, Paul wrote this, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. How beautiful is that? James Whitcomb Riley, he wrote a poem entitled A Life Lesson. And here's the last stanza of that poem. He says, there, little girl, don't cry. They have broken your heart, I know. And the rainbow gleams of your youthful dreams are things of long ago. But heaven holds all for which you sigh. There, little girl, don't cry. The fifth thing that we should never, ever forget, what we should always remember, the performance that God expects from us in the meantime. The performance God expects from us in the meantime. First Peter, the chapter 2 and verse 15. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then in First Peter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And then also in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2 we read, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Folks, listen to me. Nowhere in the Bible is it found that it's required that we be multi-talented. We can't find that in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible is it found that we need to be exceptionally brilliant. That's not in the Scriptures either. Nowhere in the Bible is it found that we need to be just outstandingly um, personable. That's not found in the Scriptures. But let me tell you what is found in the Scriptures. God makes this requirement of all believers, and that is that we be faithful in every department of life. We need to be faithful in every department of life. Now, it is true. That there's some Christians, they want to be cafeteria Christians, meaning that they want to just pick and choose the areas that they want to be faithful in. And then somehow just rationalize and convince themselves that their negligence in other areas of responsibility is somewhat excusable. I don't know how they do that, but they do it. First Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 31 says this, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Folks, we're to be faithful in all things. We're to be faithful in all things, and that includes faithfulness in attending church. You know, there's folks, and I've heard them say, and they said it to me, oh, I pray every day. I'm a Christian, and I believe in God, but I just don't go to church. You know what? That's somewhat like saying, I love to swim, but I hate the water. You know, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 25. 
He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, unless we're providentially impaired or hindered here, you and I, we need to be in the church when the church doors are open for our own good as well as for the sake of our influence. Let me tell you something. When you show up here, it's not just for what you get out of it, but you give as well. Other people learn from you and they gain from you. Uh, second thing, we're to be faithful in bringing God's tithes and offerings. You know, one lady said, there's a lot of reasons to tithe. But one reason is that I'm afraid to keep that which doesn't belong to me. <laughs> you know, she's absolutely right. Leviticus 27 and verse 30 says, and all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. You know, so we're to bring our, our offerings, you know, as God directs us. Another faithfulness that God requires includes our helping to carry the load here. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verses 14 says this, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Folks, no Christian is simply to be a spectator. Not a single one of us. You know, there's a place for every person to serve. Paul Powell, he said this, we were not saved to sit soaking sour until the second coming. And I'm pretty sure it was Paul, that Powell said this too. He said that some Christians have been sitting so long they have ingrown shirt tails. <laughs> Fourth thing, we're to be faithful in our moral conduct. First Peter 1 and, and uh, verse 15 says this, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You know, someone said this, you are writing a gospel, a page each day by the things you do and the words that you say. Men are reading that gospel, whether faultless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? What is it? And Father, you know, we're to be faithful in witnessing to those around us. Now, obviously, we're to witness by manner of life Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We're also supposed to verbalize our faith. Jesus said in Acts, the first chapter in verse 8, he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And whatever else a witness may be, it is someone who tells what he knows firsthand to be true. The author, Psalms, 107th chapter, in verse 2, he declared, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, the songwriter expressed what should be a heartfelt conviction of every last one of us in this room. The song goes like this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You know, Jesus 
He paid an enormous price in order that you and I might be saved. There's no greater price that's ever paid for that. But in order to receive that gift, we have to reach out for it in repentance and faith and by confessing his name and being baptized into him. And if you've never done so, I challenge you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ this very morning. You know, it will be the wisest decision that you've ever made. You know, let me also encourage you to take your public stand for him in a moment when we stand and we sing our invitation. Don't put it off any longer. Look, you know, what better time than homecoming? Come home. Not only here, but come home to Jesus Christ's home. So we'll go home to heaven one day. And if you're already a Christian, I challenge you to just face up to whatever sins that you've let creep into your life and resolve right now to make whatever new beginnings that are needful in your life to take care of that. Let me encourage you. Don't be caught in your sinful life. You know, make that change. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But one thing we do know, he's coming. We just don't know when. Are we going to be ready when he comes? We're not promised that we'll make it to lunch over there today. We're not promised the next second, the next breath. But we know Jesus is coming, and when he's coming, it's too late then. When he comes, there won't be any time to take care of them. So let me encourage you to take care of that. So anyway, there's five things that we dare not forget here. You know, if we're going to be what we're ought to be, and if we're going to mean to others what we should mean to others, and if we're going to honor God, we must always remember the price that was paid for our salvation. We must always remember the people whom God has used to bless us. We must always remember the promises that God has given to sustain us. We must always remember the provision that he's made for us at the end of our way. And with just profound importance, folks, hear this. We must always remember the performance he expects of us as believers in the meantime. Things we should never, ever forget. Those are five things that we need to remember this spring. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for giving us the warnings. And Father, we just pray now that you would help us to remember those five things. Help us to never, ever forget them. Father, may be found guilty of being about your business in a way that's pleasing to you. Father, we ask that you forgive us where we sin and help us to do better. In Jesus' name. Amen.